Well, as Lauren said, this morning we're in our final message in the series on the worthy walk. And we've learned really so much about what it means to live worthy, to walk worthy of our salvation. The worthy walk means walking in unity in the church. We saw that we are to be humble, gentle, patient. We're to bear with one another in love. We're to recognize that in our salvation, we've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ and that he's given us his word so that we can grow up into Christ and that each of us should serve one another and minister to one another to promote and maintain unity in the church. We have this spiritual unity in our salvation and we're to live that out in all of these ways that we saw in chapter 4, 1 to 16. And then we saw the call to walk worthy of our salvation by walking in holiness in verses 14 to 32 of chapter 4. And we're to live really according to the new nature, which according to chapter 4 and verse 24, was created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the worthy walk meant living worthy of what God had done for us in our regeneration. The worthy walk also meant walking in love, and we're to imitate God and walk in love, even as Christ loved us, chapter 5, starting in verse 1. But we're also to reject false loves. We're to reject things like immorality and impurity and covetousness, things that would show that we have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and Christ. And then last week, we saw that we're to walk in light, and we're to walk as a light, verse 9 said in chapter 5 that the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And part of our function as light was to expose the unfruitful works of darkness in our midst, which I kind of tried to lay out for us a, a process of church discipline, uh, the way that the scriptures tell us to function as light in this world. See, if we're going to walk worthy of salvation, it means that we also help others to walk worthy of their salvation as well. And so we're to be a holy, pure, and set-apart people. And today, our text really wraps all of this up in one final exhortation. And I, I called this message, Walk Carefully. We're going to look at Ephesians 5, 15 to 21 this morning. Let's read it. Together, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this final exhortation to walk worthy summarizes really everything that we've seen before and really everything that's that's even come before in this letter and it, it really brings it all together. This is the fifth time that we've we've had the words at least in the Greek text therefore and walk. And so this is the fifth time. This is the fifth and and final way that we're commanded to live out 
our salvation. This time it's by walking carefully. And there's three ways that we're to walk carefully according to the text. And each of these has a negative and a positive side. In verse 15, we're to walk carefully not as unwise, that's the negative, but as wise, that's the positive. And this wise walk is further defined as making the best use of the time. And then second, in verse 17, negatively it says, do not be foolish, but positively understand the will of the Lord. And the third way to walk carefully is to not get drunk with wine, but on the positive side, to be filled by the Spirit. And then verses 19 to 21 show us what it's going to look like to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Now, I hope this series has impacted your life. I hope that you've seen what a great salvation that we have. And I hope you've been challenged to live it out for the glory of God over these last, really, number of months. I, I for myself, have been challenged and I've also been very encouraged by a number of you who have come to me and told me about a renewed commitment to holiness, a renewed commitment to fight against particular sins in your life. And not only a renewed commitment, but even many of you have come and, and talked about a new level of success and, and uh, new ways in which God has worked in your lives to grow you. And I, I'm very thankful for that. You are, you are growing, Grace Bible Fellowship. You are growing to be more like Christ. And that's really the best encouragement that I could have as a pastor. But our text today really challenges us and urges us to go further still. To be careful about our walk. It urges us not only to put off sin, but also to go on to the other side, to go on to the positive side and do good. You see, it's not enough merely for us to put off certain sins, although that is good. And and especially when we think about putting off sins, we often think about putting off sins that are maybe not so socially acceptable. And again, it's good to put off sin and we must put off sin, but that's not enough. We, we also need to do righteousness. We're to become more and more like Christ in our day-to-day lives. And that's really what our text is calling us to when it's talking about this careful walk. And we could summarize it just to kind of give you what we're, we're going to cover as we go through. We could summarize it like this. We need to carefully live, wisely using our time to do the Lord's will, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's really the message today, that we need to carefully live, wisely using our time to do the Lord's will. And we're going to talk about what each of these things are as we go. But we're to do this by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And so we're going to, we're going to call these three ways to walk carefully. Three ways to walk carefully. But before we get into the three ways, we need to consider this word there, translated carefully in the ESV and really in, in most of the versions. I, I got a few versions for you here. The Christian Standard Bible translates it like this. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. The Legacy Standard Bible translates it, therefore look carefully how you walk. The New King James says, see then that you walk circumspectly circumspectly, probably not a word that we often use. It's not one that rolls very often off of my tongue, but it's a good word, circumspectly. The New International Version says, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful. 
How You Live, the Net Bible, the New English Translation Bible, the one that I've often mentioned has the footnotes that I really like. It says, therefore, consider carefully how you live. Consider carefully how you live. And then, of course, the ESV, look carefully then how you walk. Now, this word translated carefully or or careful or very careful or circumspectly, it means to do something accurately, means to do something precisely with close attention to what you're doing. The foremost Greek lexicon says that it, quote, pertains to strict conformity to a standard with a focus on careful attention. Strict conformity to a standard with a focus on careful attention. Now, I don't, I don't know what you think about when you, and, and I want you to think about this. What, what would that look like? Strict conformity to a standard. You know, I, I've got a friend in Edmonton and uh, he was a welding inspector and his job was to, to kind of check the work of, of other welders in, throughout the Edmonton area and make sure that, that they, they did everything right. They, he was to check the, the thickness of the material, the quality of the welds, the, the, that they used the proper paint even to coat the thing after and the correct amount of coats of paint and all according to the various codes that applied to, to that kind of work. And his job was really to go in and inspect and, and make sure that the work was done accurately according to the standards that were set in all of these various codes. And if it wasn't according to the standard, he would make them redo it. And I think he kind of delighted in, in making them redo it when they, when they did it wrong. But, but that was his job to make sure. And, and he would have to sign off on that because he would be then responsible. And he was saying that this was done according to the standard. And, and this is the kind of attention that, that this word requires of us that, that is worthy of our salvation. We need to be very careful that we're walking according to God's word. We need to inspect the way that we live and think about the way that we live and make sure that it's worthy of our salvation, that it corresponds with all the riches that we have in our salvation. Now, I think sometimes when we think about things like this, it's helpful to kind of flip it around and think about the opposite. And so what would be the opposite of looking carefully how we walk? I think it would be something along the lines of not thinking about how we live, not thinking about our lives, but but even more, we might say it's something like this, just going through the motions. This would be the opposite of being careful, just kind of going through the motions, living our day-to-day lives, not really thinking about what's going on and how we're living our salvation. Just kind of doing life without comparing what we're doing with what the Word of God says. That would be the opposite of this careful walk. And so as we begin then, I, I ask, are you paying close attention to your life? Are you living accurately according to God's Word? You know, some people have a wide tolerance for not doing things that Scripture commands. And that's really the opposite of this carefulness. We're to have a narrow uh, tolerance. We're to, we're to specifically and precisely and accurately live according to the Word of God. And when we fail to do what Scripture commands, or when we do what Scripture forbids, we're not walking worthy of our salvation. And Paul then gives us three specific ways to, to carefully walk. Three things that he particularly has in mind about the carefulness of the Christian's walk. 
And so he says, look carefully then how you walk. And, and we're going to call, again, call this three ways to walk carefully. And the first way to walk carefully is number one, redeeming the time in verses 15 and 16, redeeming the time. The main idea in this first way to walk carefully is, is by making the best use of the time as the ESV translates it. The careful walk, the precise walk, the worthy walk means we use our time in the best ways possible. And to do otherwise is really, according to the text, it's to be unwise. And so look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. And so we're commanded here by God to carefully walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, wisdom means being skillful in a thing. Wisdom is, is rightly applying what we know. To be unwise is to lack discernment. To be unwise means to, to not be skillful, not to properly apply one's knowledge. And so the way to walk wise, then again, is, is further defined by making the best use of the time. But we might wonder then, well, well, what are we to discern or, or how are we to use the time? What does Paul have in mind? What should our priorities be in, in regarding to time? What does it look like to be wise in this way? And I think it's going to be helpful here. And, and we're going to do this every time. We need to go back and look at some of the things that Paul had previously said in this letter. And, and right now we're going to go back and we're going to look at some things that he said regarding wisdom. So what, what is wise according to the book of Ephesians? Three times already in this letter, at, at really at key points, Paul has referred to wisdom, to God's wisdom. And I think he wants us to remember that and be wise in the ways that God has laid out, which are wise. And so looking at these, I think will help us to understand how do we redeem our time wisely. And the first one is back in Ephesians chapter 1. So go back to Ephesians 1 and look at verse 7. As we do this, there's really so much that, that I would want to say about all of these things, and um, we just won't have time to, to look at it all in detail today. But the first way that Paul talks about wisdom in this letter is starting in verse 7. It says, in him, and that him there is Christ, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which... He lavished upon us, and which there refers to grace. So grace has been lavished upon us in all wisdom. And there's our word, in all wisdom. Grace has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now there's a lot going on in just those few verses. But, but Christ, or, or probably maybe God has, has lavished His grace on us in all wisdom. And He did this by making us, making known to us something, and, and that something is the mystery of His will. And this mystery is God's purpose to unite all things in Christ. And so God is, is going to restore all things through his son. We sang about that this morning. God is going to restore all things through his son. 
And we know that, that that's God's purpose. We believers have been informed about what God is doing in the world. And this is the grace that God has lavished on us, that we know his plans, we know his purposes, we know what God is up to in this age. And we ourselves as believers are step one in God's plan because we've been united in Christ and our sins have been forgiven. But when the fullness of time comes, all things, the entire universe is going to be restored through Christ. The entire universe that has been marred by sin is going to be restored through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus returns, he's going to take back this world and then all things will be subject to him or as we saw in our text here in verse in verse 8 or wherever it is that um that he's going to unite all things in him verse 10 so wisdom is given us in our salvation wisdom to know God's plan through Christ now secondly let's let's look at the next time wisdom is used it's in verse 17 It says there that the, and Paul's praying here, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So here's our word again, wisdom and and of revelation in the knowledge of him. And so Paul is praying here, and, and we could interpret it this way. Paul is praying that the Father would give the Holy Spirit to the Ephesians in such a way that they would have wisdom and revelation so that they would know God more. And so this wisdom is into in knowing God more. Wisdom is understanding salvation and wisdom is knowing God. And so those are kind of the two things that we've seen so far. Wisdom is understanding salvation. Wisdom is knowing God. Of course, this comes by the, the Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life. And then the fourth one that we see, the fourth time this is used or sorry, the third time that this is used is in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. Look at that one with me. Ephesians 3, it's really in verse 10, but we're going to start at verse 8 there. It says, to me, of course, Paul's speaking here, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so Paul was given grace to preach Christ, and in verse 9, he was given grace to bring to light the plan, and it's really the plan of the church there. And so Paul had grace to preach Christ and grace to teach everyone about this new thing, this new mystery, which is called the church. And as he does these two things, as he preaches Christ and about the church, God's wisdom is going to be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Now, we usually just call those things angels. So the angels are going to get wisdom into into how great God is as Paul preaches Christ and, and, and really works to build up the church. And so God's going to be made known again through preaching of Christ and building the church. Now, there's a lot more that we could say about all this, and, and we'll kind of come back to this when we look at, at the will of God in a, little bit, in a little bit. But I just want to kind of make this one connection here. God's wisdom 
involves his purpose through Christ of making himself known by saving people through the church. Okay, that's, that's God's wisdom. He, his wisdom involves his purpose through Christ of making himself known by saving people through the church. And so God is saving people and through that salvation, he's making himself known. God is building the church and, and through that building of the church and saving people, he is making himself known. And, and God's wisdom is the thing that planned it all. And of course, making God known is another way to talk about this is God is glorifying himself. He's showing his greatness through these things. And if we are wise, going back to our text, if we are wise, we will see this plan. And we're going to join God in this great plan that he has, in his great purpose. And we're going to seek to glorify God. We're going to seek to make him known by serving him in the ministry of the church. Because God in his wisdom is saving people and sanctifying them in and through the church. And so if we are wise, we are going to partner with God in this work. And, and that's really in large part the, the message of the entire book of Ephesians. It's all centered on the church and on Christ. And so Paul is saying, don't be unwise, but rather apply this knowledge that I've been teaching you about, about God's wisdom. Apply this knowledge. And the way to do that, again, is by making the most of the time. You see, we only have a limited amount of time in this world. We only have a limited amount of time to serve the Lord. Now, the word here in our text is literally redeeming the time or, or to buy up the time. And the sense of this is that we're to take full advantage of every opportunity. You see, time is exceedingly precious. We only have a limited amount of time and, and we don't know how much time we have until Christ returns. We don't know how much time we have until we could die. One, we could, one of us could die on our way out of this place this morning. And the time that we are given is, is really the only time that we have to serve the Lord and prepare an eternal war, uh, uh, an eternal reward for our service to Him. We only have this one allotment of time. And when our time is gone, it's gone forever. And if we waste time, we will never get it back. We will never get it back. You know, other sins can be repented of and, and they can be made right. But even if we weep and cry, we'll never have another chance to reuse the time that we've lost. And so Paul says, make wise, the, the wise walk and the careful walk means making the best use of time. Now, he doesn't mean for us in this to go out of the world and to become monks. He, he, he's going to say later on that, that that we're to operate in this world as husbands and wives and parents and children and, and masters and slaves. And he's not going to say leave all of those things, but in these relationships, in, in our regular day-to-day -day lives, as we walk in this world, and we need to take advantage of every opportunity to serve the Lord. In these relationships that we have in the world, we need to redeem the, the time by walking in the ways that promote uni unity and holiness and love, and that we interact with people as a light in the dark world. And the final reason that, that Paul gives us, the, the reason that he gives us in verse 16, is because the days are evil. And so we need to make the best use of our time, really, again, 
remembering God's purposes and how we're called to join Him in, in building this church. And I, and I don't mean just Grace Bible Fellowship, but I mean in, in building the, the universal church. And so we need to redeem the time, use it wisely, buy it up, take advantage of every opportunity, again, because the days are evil. Now, the second way that we must walk carefully, number two in your outline, is by understanding the will of the Lord. Understanding the will of the Lord. Verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so the negative here is do not be foolish. A foolish person is a person that has a lack of understanding. The word can be just translated foolish or ignorant or even sometimes in the sense of a senseless person, somebody who's out of their mind. And so don't be like that. Don't be foolish. Don't be ignorant. Don't have a lack of understanding. The Greek translation of the Old Testament used this word for the fool that we see so often in the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes. This fool is one who, who displays folly, one who is careless, one who despises wisdom. This is the fool. And it's also used, this word, this word is used in the Old Testament translation, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's used for one who lacks understanding or one who, again, despises knowledge. And so this person is foolish. They, they don't have this proper understanding. And it's either because they haven't sought it, they haven't, they've never studied and so they don't understand, or it's because they've despised instruction. They, they wouldn't listen, and so they're a fool. Or it's because having listened, they rejected the will of God. And so in, in either of these three ways, one could be foolish. They, they're lacking understanding for either because they never studied and they don't know, or because they've despised instruction and they wouldn't listen, or because they've rejected the will of God having listened, they went and did, went their own way. Charles Hodge said about this word, foolish, he said it refers to, quote, one who does not make a right use of his understanding, who does not see things in their true light or estimate them according to their relative importance. And the opposite of this, on the positive side, is one who understands the will of the Lord or what the will of the Lord is. And so we've got either a lack of understanding, foolish, or one who does understand the will of the Lord, which is not foolish. And so to be foolish is to lack understanding. And Paul says, don't be that way. Instead, understand the will of the Lord. And the word there, understand, it's really a quite a unique word. It's an understanding that impacts what a person does. And so commentator Harold Honard said this, quote, it's an intelligent grasp of knowledge that has resulting consequences. So a grasp of knowledge that has resulting consequences. Paul wants us to know God's will so well that we actually put it into practice. And this would be similar to what James says in James 1.22, where he exhorts the people there to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so we're talking about an understanding that motivates people to action. We're to hear and obey the word of God, which is where we will find the will of the Lord in the word of God. 
And what this means is that we're to be a people who understand and act according to our understanding and not, and this is really important, and not a people who act according to our feelings. We're to be a people that act according to understanding, not according to our feelings. You see, the foolish person lacks understanding of God's will or they don't obey what they understand because very often anyways, it's because they don't feel like it. They don't have the right feelings, and we are not to be led by our feelings. We're to be led by the truth of God's word. Now, the joy of obedience will often follow, but even if it, if it doesn't follow, even if we don't feel right, we should always obey God. And as we obey God, we should ask him to change our hearts so that doing his will becomes a joy and not a burden if we're not feeling right. But always obedience should come first. We should be driven by our understanding, not by our feelings. Another commentator said about this, he said, quote, The doing of his will is not a matter of irrational impulse, but of intelligent reflection and action. And that's the idea of understanding. And I think that'll be helpful to keep in mind as we get to the part that speaks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people think about being filled with the Holy Spirit as something, some kind of irrational impulse is going to come over us and, and just kind of lead us in God's will. No, Paul says we're to be led by our understandings. We're to understand the Lord's will from his word and then act on that. Now, the next question then for us is, well, well, what is the will of the Lord? What is the will of the Lord? And Paul's not talking about understanding God's will or, or Christ's will. It, and really, it is Christ who is the Lord here in our text. He's not talking about, about that in, in kind of the day-to-day sense that we often think of. You know, he, he, he's not thinking, understand the will of the Lord. Should I get the 2% milk or should I get skim milk this week? You know, he, that's not what he's talking about here. God's will, you know, another, I have another example here. You know, should I, should I keep this job or should I get a new job? Kind of these kind of day to day decisions. That's not what Paul's got in mind when he thinks about the will of the Lord. God's will in the book of Ephesians or, or Christ's will is very much what we already said in regards to wisdom. God's will in Christ is his purpose, his eternal plan. And I, I want to show you this just in a few places. First of all, right, even at the very beginning of the letter, Paul says that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then he says in verse five of chapter one that, that he, this is God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And so there's the word will there, and it's God's got this purpose, and the purpose of his will was to adopt his elect people as sons. And this is a, the kind intention of his will, as we'll see a little bit later on, the kind intention of his will. In verse 9, again still in chapter 1 here, it says there, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And we already looked at that verse there, but, but God has made known to us the mystery of his will. And that's really tied again to the, the whole reality of the church that, that's, that he is building in this age. In verse 11, it says, in him, 
in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And so again, God's will is His eternal plan which involved saving sinners through Jesus Christ and making them part of His body, the church, and then growing them to be like Him. And all of this plan is God's will. All of this plan is God's will. And and of course, in that would also include our own moral response because we've been put into this church and we've been saved to be a holy people. And so God's will is, is His purpose, but it also includes our righteousness. And so if God's will is to adopt us as His family and make us like Christ, then that ought to move us to be like Christ. This is the will of Christ. This is the will of the Lord. And understanding it should motivate us to holy action. That's what Paul's saying. Understanding God's will should motivate us to holy action. Can you know that the triune God has saved you and made you a new creature in Christ and inserted you into the church, his body, and made you a dwelling place of God in the Holy Spirit and that he's working to conform you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, and that it's all for his glory and greatness. And then that knowledge not drastically affect your life. Of course not. This, these things should affect our lives. These things should motivate us and move us to serve the Lord. And if we're not moved by these truths, if we're not moved by God's will, then that would be, according to our text, it would be utterly foolish. But that's exactly what we do every time we live for ourselves. Every time we forget about God's glory. We are acting foolishly, and that's that's what we do when we forget about eternity. We forget about heaven coming. We forget about this limited amount of time that we have to serve the Lord. That's exactly what we do when we're led by our feelings or when we sin or when we delay obedience, we become foolish. But Paul's saying, don't become foolish. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so the careful walk means understanding the will of the Lord in order to do it. And it also involves, thirdly then, being filled by the Holy Spirit, Being filled by the Holy Spirit. This is verses 18 to 21. Starting in verse 18, it says there, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And this is the third time again that we have a negative followed by a positive. Here the negative really fills in the positive by giving us a glimpse into what it is to be filled with the Spirit. The negative is is just simple. Do not get drunk. Do not get drunk. Do not become intoxicated is is what it means. Do not allow a substance to control your faculties or your behavior. Now, wine was really the only alcoholic drink available in those days. And when the Bible talks about strong drink, we, we need to remember that it's not talking about the kind of strong drink that's available today. The process of of distilling wasn't invented until about 800 AD, I kind of tried to look this up a little bit this week on uh, in some sources, but it was, it was maybe invented around 800 AD, but the first real book on the topic wasn't until 1500 in Germany. 
And so they didn't have whiskey and vodka and rum or high alcohol wine like they do today, which comes from the process of distilling. And if they did, Paul wouldn't, wouldn't have likely said, do not get drunk with wine. He would have just said, do not get drunk. Because surely Paul doesn't think getting intoxicated from other beverages is appropriate. And so to be clear on this and, and how we should apply it in our day, we should not allow any substance whether alcohol or marijuana or other drugs, to cause us to lose control of ourselves. That's what it means to be intoxicated. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led by it is not wise. And that really fits our text very well. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And so our text tells us that drunkenness is debauchery. And that word means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasure. And also with that, that excessive indulgence would come wastefulness that goes with it. And so don't give yourself over to sensual pleasure. Don't waste your life. Instead, Paul says, be filled by the Holy Spirit. And you may have noticed that I keep saying be filled by the Holy Spirit. And I really do think that's the best translation here. That word, the, the Greek word "n" there really can be translated in, with, or by. And so the question is, does the, does the Holy Spirit fill us? Is he the thing that fills us? Or is he the one that is doing the filling? And scripture is clear on this, that every believer is already indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. He lives in us. But that's not what Paul is talking about here when he talks about being filled with or by the Spirit. I believe the best view here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us. He's the the agent of the filling, if that makes sense. He's the one who does the filling. And so we need to be filled by him. The question is, well, what does the Holy Spirit fill us with if that's what this passage is talking about? What does the Holy Spirit fill us with? And the answer, in short, is he fills us with Christ and Christ-likeness. And so let's go back through Ephesians one more time, and let's look at the words of filling. And I think we'll see here what Paul means. And so starting in Ephesians 1, verse 22 Go back there with me. It says, And he, and and that's God there, God the Father, God the Father put all things under his feet. And so God the Father put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ as head over all things to the church. And then we have this difficult little phrase here, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that's a difficult little phrase to understand and there's there's actually at least six views on how to interpret it. Now I would just say, and I don't want to go through these six views with you, but I would just say it like this. The, the church is not the fullness of God despite what the ESV translation looks like. The, the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I think we could all agree that that the church is not the fullness of God. So who is the fullness of God? And I I think we would answer, well, Christ is the fullness of God. And we could go to Colossians and and look at that in Colossians 2.9 and that other verse in Colossians. 
around 115. But grammatically, we can, we can take it this way that, that Christ is the, the thing that Paul's talking about. And what, what's, what this, the way that we would translate this then is that the church is the one that is being filled. And him who fills could also be kind of taken passively. And so let me just say, here's how I understand this, and hopefully this, this will help you. The church is the body of Christ, and the church is being filled by Christ, who is himself being filled by God in every way. Let me just say that again for you. The church is the body of Christ, and the church is being filled by Christ, while Christ himself is being filled by God in every way. And so we, the church, are being filled with Christ, who is being filled by God. That's what verse 23 teaches. And so we see already here that, that the church is to be that which is filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit now is the one who does this filling work. Let's go to another one. Let's go to the prayer in Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 16. Look at Paul's prayer there. He says that according to the riches of his glory, and again, this his is referring to God the Father, according to the riches of the Father's glory, that he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. So Paul's praying to the Father that according to his glory, the the Holy Spirit would strengthen the believers in their inner being. And the result of this in verse 17 is so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, that, that Christ would live in your heart and, and that, that it would, that it would be evident that Christ is in you. And so Paul's praying to the Father for strength from the Holy Spirit that Christ might dwell in the heart through faith. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us with Christ. And we see that word filling again in verse 10 of chapter 4. And we'll just kind of briefly look at that one. It says, He who descended, verse 10, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And so again, we're speaking about Christ here, and he is going to be the one that's going to fill all things. And and that's ultimately going to happen when he returns and all things are united in Christ, when God restores the universe through Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us with Christ, who is himself the fullness of God. Now, we might wonder, well, how does that work practically? And practically speaking, we could just say that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to make us like our Lord Jesus Christ in our day-to-day lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He works to fill us with Christ so that we respond like Christ, so that we act like Christ in our day-to-day lives. Now look back at this verse here. It says, but be filled, and I'm going to translate it, be filled by the Spirit. Now this is not something that we do. It's something that must be done to us. And yet we are commanded to be filled. It's our responsibility to have this thing happen to us, to have the Spirit fill us with Christ's likeness. And that implies that the Holy Spirit is ready to fill us with Christ really at any and every moment of, of, of our lives. Now, the analogy here with wine, I think, is helpful because just as one who is filled with wine comes under the influence of wine, 
resulting in debauchery, according to our text, in a similar way, so the one who is filled by the Spirit comes under the influence of the Holy Spirit, resulting in Christ-likeness. Now, we won't necessarily feel the Holy Spirit, but His influence will be seen as we live our lives. Now, I want to turn, I want you to turn to the parallel text here in Colossians 3 and verse 16. Where it's a very, very remarkably similar, especially if we go all the way to verse 21 in our text. But it says there, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so there's this remarkable parallel here between being filled with the Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so what we can kind of take from that is the way to do this is really to obey the Word of God, trusting the the power of the Holy Spirit to to produce Christ-likeness in our hearts so that we can live the way the Word commands us to live. And so again, we're not necessarily going to feel the Holy Spirit, but His influence will be seen. And you know, according to Galatians 5.22, when, when the Spirit is, is working in our lives, we're going to see the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so as we obey the Word of God, as we understand the will of the Lord, and we seek to do it by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, these kinds of fruits are going to be manifested in our lives. And And our text goes on to kind of show five results that are going to show if we are really being filled by the Spirit. These are results that are going to occur as the Spirit fills us and makes us like Christ. Now these, we we could say these aren't the only results that the Holy Spirit produces in the life of a believer, but these are the ones that Paul specifically mentions here. And there's five participles in Ephesians 5, 19 to 21, that, that give five results of being filled by the Holy Spirit. And these five results, let's read that in verse 19. It says there, be filled with the Spirit, verse 18. And then here's the results. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so these are five results, addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. And of course, their singing and making melody kind of really go together. They're, they're joined together by Paul with the word and there. And so there's really four results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think it's helpful for us to kind of recognize this from the Word of God. Sometimes we wonder, well, what's it going to look like if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? What's my, what's my life going to be like? And if you want to know from the Word of God what your life's going to be like, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, here it is, addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, and submitting. And so first of all, Paul says addressing one another. And and literally there, it's just speaking, speaking to one another. And what are we speaking? It's Psalms 
And these would be psalms from the Old Testament, hymns, and songs. And of course, the songs that Paul has in mind are spiritual songs, not, not necessarily secular songs. And so this is the, the things that we're going to speak to one another. And these are to be sung and, and or spoken to one another. And, and, and it shows us then the importance of the songs that we choose to sing on Sundays, that, that these must be songs that are true according to God's word, because they're to, to, to influence us and we're to speak them to one another, whether that's in corporate singing, when we kind of sing it out to one another and we, we hear one another singing these words, or whether it's even just in our conversations day to day, the psalms and hymns and songs are to be on our lips. This is one of the results of being filled with the Spirit. And so there's a, a horizontal aspect to our singing. But then secondly, Paul says singing and making melody. And so this is the, the second result. We're going to see four results here. Singing and making melody, those, those really go together. And here, this singing and, singing and making melody is to the Lord. In, in verse 19 earlier, it was the speaking was to one another, addressing one another. Now we are, we are doing it to the Lord and we're doing it to the Lord with our heart. And so we're, we're singing and making melody, not just in our heart quietly, but, but we're doing it with our heart, with our mind, with our will, with our emotions, with all of who we are. We're to sing to the Lord. And that's going to be a result of being filled with the Spirit. If you're singing in your heart to the Lord, that's a result of the Spirit's work in your life. Thirdly is giving thanks always for everything. Giving thanks always and for everything. Continual thanksgiving for every situation, the good and the bad, and doing it in the name of our Lord because He is the Lord, because He is all of who He is. Thankfulness is a sign of a a Spirit-filled person. They're thankful in any and every situation. They're, They're recognizing God's sovereignty, that it comes from Him, and they're thanking the Lord for it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because they recognize that it's ultimately everything that happens in their life is for the glory of God. Now, fourthly is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And there's a little bit of an interpretive issue here, so we need to kind of slow down a little bit on this one. But fourth of all, being filled with the Spirit shows itself in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, some people understand from this that we are all to submit to one another. And the idea would be that that we're to have an attitude of submission kind of in the, the spirit of Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. So let's just go over there. Let's look at Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Again, there's, there's really two major views on this. And, and the first view is that there's, there's to be mutual submission. And the second view is that there's, that there's to be submission in the proper spheres. But if we think about mutual submission and, and what this teaches, a lot of people would go to a verse like Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 and 4, where it says there, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Now, this humility of mind is definitely something that we should emulate. This is something that, that we should do. We should consider others more important than ourselves with this attitude of humility. And we should look out not only for the things that we're interested in, but also look out for what's going to be the best for others. Another verse that would kind of speak along these lines is Romans 12 and verse 10, which says, love one another with brotherly affection. And then it says, outdo one another in showing honor. And again, I think that's something that we ought to do, but I don't think that our text is teaching that. See, the the word submit there doesn't mean to honor one another. It doesn't mean to, to count others as more significant than yourselves. The word submit there means to submit. And words mean what they mean, depending on their context, but we can't ever make a word mean what it doesn't mean, especially if there's a way to understand that word according to what it actually does mean. And the word be subject doesn't mean count others greater than yourselves or more significant. It doesn't mean to show honor to other people. The word translated be subject or um, submitting to one another means to submit. And the idea here is that we're to submit to those whom God has placed in authority over us according to our various roles. We submit to one another because we recognize that it's the Lord who has ultimately put those people into our lives for good. I'm trying to find in my notes where I actually wrote the the definition of submission, but I'm not finding it here right now. Um, So, the word means to actually put yourself under a leader, to, to follow a leader's commands. And, and as we, we go through these verses, if we were going to continue on through Ephesians into chapter six, we would see these different categories that Paul lays out in the household code. And so if you look at verse 22, it said submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in verse 22, it says, wives submit to your own husbands. But the word submit isn't even there in the original. It's just literally wives to your own husbands. And so it's connected to verse 21 and what came before. And so the verb is supplied from verse 21. And so the idea then is that we are to submit to one another. And then Paul lays out specifically in verses 22 and following, who's to submit to whom? Because you cannot submit to one another. You have to submit to the person that has the authority. And so wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord, verse 22. In verse 24, it says, Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then in chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And in chapter 6 and verse 5, it says, Bond servants Obey your earthly, earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. And so the idea here is that we are to submit to one another according to the various spheres that, that we have. And so wives are to submit to their husbands. Husbands are called to love their wives, but they're not called to submit to their wives. Just as 
Parents are called to, to, to lead their children, but it's the children who are called to obey their parents. It's the bond servants who are called to obey their earthly masters. And so, in short, the fruit of the Holy Spirit's life, being filled by the Holy Spirit, is going to look like submitting to those whom God has put in authority over us. Submitting to those whom God has put in authority over us, that is submission to Christ, and that is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that's to be done not out of terror, but out of literally fear for Christ, reverence towards Christ, out of a deep sense of His power and authority, we're to submit into the various fears that God has commanded us to do that. Charles Hodge said about this, he said, quote, the motive should be reverence for Christ, a regard for his will and for his glory. Well, we've seen then three ways to walk carefully. We are to carefully, precisely, accurately walk according to the word of God. We're to redeem the time. That would be wise of us to do. We're to be wise and, and use our time really according to God's purposes, according to what he is doing in this world. We're to join with him in this great work of saving people, glorifying himself, building this church, showing even the angels the manifold wisdom of God as we serve the Lord in these ways. We're to redeem the time as we do that. The second part about this careful walk was <clears throat> understanding the will of the Lord, knowing what what he would have us do, knowing his purposes in the world and and letting that move us and drive us and motivate us to serve the Lord. That's That's the careful walk in this world and to do otherwise would be foolish. And then we've seen that we're not to get drunk with wine or in it really with any other substance, but instead we're to be filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is to be the one controlling us and making us like Christ. And so we need to be a people that live carefully, using our time to do the Lord's will by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what God calls us to do Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our our time together in your word. We thank you for giving us your spirit and uh, for his ministry in our lives. We thank you for giving us an understanding of of your wisdom, of, of what it is that you are doing in this world. And we thank you for allowing us to serve you in these ways, for allowing us to participate in what you're doing in this age. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to redeem the time, We pray that you would forgive us for all of the times that we've wasted time, that we've squandered time, that we've we've not used it wisely, Father. We ask your forgiveness for that and help us going forward to, to use every second of our time to honor you. Help us, Father, to understand your will. Help us to understand your word and to live in light of it and to do it. Help us not to be foolish. Help us not to lack understanding or or resist understanding, but help us to do your will. And Father, we ask that you would help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us in our inner mans, that that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith so that we could live in these ways, so that we could walk carefully 
and honor and glorify you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.